G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. The Story in 1964, fathers and uncles decided that they couldn't live that life anymore. They needed to escape the communist regime and they made the decision that they would choose with God's help to get everyone, member of the family, out of there. And if they got caught, they all would have been put against the wall and got shot. So they decided they would leave the country, take a, a risk, live or die. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, sometimes we take for granted how blessed we are here in Australia until we hear a story like Pashka's and her life growing up in Albania. Today, we'll hear the story of her family's amazing escape from that country's communist dictatorship of the 1960s and how their faith helped them every step of the way of their journey to freedom. Pashka is sharing her story with Karen Hunt. Can you go back to your early, early years of memory and tell us what was life like for you as a young girl? Life was very difficult back in those days as I remember that we were suffering under the communism regime and as children there was quite a lot of us in the household. Our first remembrance is that there was never enough food to go around to feed the children uh, and the family would work hard for the family farm, for the government, to provide food, but there was still not enough food for everyone. would be days and nights where we thought we were getting fed, would cry, we would go to sleep crying without any food because there was no food to feed us. Pashka, how many children were in your family? There were three in my parents, but amongst all the others, there would have been 12 children with a total of adults and children 22. So there was not enough to go around. And were you all living together? Yes, they were living together. We were all living together. Brothers and their families and wives and children were living together under one roof. And whereabouts was this in Albania? It was in a village. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the village was named uh, Velipoya. Yeah, and um, because the government was... Um, mm-hmm. it was iron ruled by the leader and Berhoja. No one was free to move from village to village without a permission and no matter how many members of the family worked, you're only allowed about 30 grams maybe of food mm. per day mm-hmm. per each person. So it was very, very tough. But then they tried to grow vegetables and fruit. I remember one particular time that we must have ate watermelon all week or maybe 10 days because that's all they had to give us. So it was very difficult. It was very, as a child, you don't know any better than Mm. what you should have got for dinner. But when you get the same thing and you wanted food and you cried yourself to sleep, there was not enough food to go around. So people were really strictly controlled, hey, by... They were very strictly controlled by the government. Mm-hmm. So there was a they communist... They weren't allowed to have any yeah. uh, cattle or any sheep or any pigs or any live animals at all. So the communist dictator ruling at that time ruled for, what, about 40 years? 
44 years in government he was. And the control obviously was reinforced by his secret police as well. Yes, but in 1964, fathers and uncles decided that they couldn't live that life anymore. They needed to put everyone's life at risk to escape the communist regime. Mm. And um, it's like you either live once or you die once. And they made the decision um, without telling anyone, the brothers, that they would choose with God's help. And they prayed very, very hard to get everyone, member of the family, out of there. It's live or die. So they had one choice. They either live, and if they got caught, they all would have been put against the wall and got shot. Mm. So they decided that they'd make a decision for children and wives that they would leave the country, take a, a risk live or die so they took that risk with god's help they said we will make it and they strongly believe in our own hearts that they were not testing god they were testing that they can do it with his help they decided to cross the river with the little rafts pain rafts that they made themselves there were four rafts per family so that means one family of five on one raft and they prayed, they chose a night time because the borders were controlled by the police. Every two hours they were patrolling the front yard because we were near the, the river. So um, our dads and our uncles made a check on how many hours, how often do they go, how long do they go past. Then they chose the minute they left and they're a little bit further away. They went in without warning their children or their wives. This is a chance of a lifetime. Live or die, we're leaving this country. With God's help, we're going to leave. Jesus is going to help us get through. And all the wives were trying to scream because they had families back home. The children were told not to talk and we didn't know anything. They just grabbed it, put us on a raft and they started rowing. It was clear for about 10 minutes and then they must have discovered that was someone trying to either get in or get out. So they started shooting Mm. at us, children and adults. But um, we were saved because they didn't get anyone with them. They didn't know whether to shoot low or shoot high. So they missed. And then the other side heard the shotguns and the authorities came over and they said, are you coming in to the adults? And they said, yes. And they said, children. And they said, yes. And all the soldiers from the other country, which was um, Yugoslavia, former Yugoslavia, they went into the water and rescued all the children. We were rubbing to our neck in water Mm. and we could hardly breathe. And our parents were saying, keep your chin up. But we didn't know what to accept. And then I was saying, start praying. They told their wives to start praying. The mother started to pray. We had a little baby. She was only six months old and she was crying. And the mother said to the older, one of the brother-in-laws, that she would drown her in order to save the other 20. Mm. And um, then the other uncle responded, no, we are not leaving anyone behind with everyone's support and she says help we're going to get through so do not throw her in and she said oh no i'm going to throw in she was told off severely and tried to cover her mouth or do something she was told i remember this was very frightening when you heard that she was going to drown and we thought oh we're all going to drown but all we can remember was our mothers praying loudly and then the soldiers jumped in 
in the water and they rescued the children. So that was sort of a sign of relief as a seven and a half year old. I was just going to say, how old were you at this time? So seven and a half, yeah? Yeah, I was nearly eight, yeah. And how many escaped? 20 something? 21. 21 people escaped. And you had to hide out in Dubrovnik, I believe. Is that right? Yes. What happened was, because Albania was very um, good neighbours with the present communist leader, which his name was Tito, he was ruling the um, former Yugoslavia, Mm -hmm. that we were wanted back. Albanian authorities had put pressure on Tito to have this family return because they wanted to make an example that this family left, but we got them back. And the reason why they wanted us back to make an example, like to shoot all the men and to shoot all the... Well, in other words, to shoot perhaps maybe everyone. Yeah. And um, so then they had to go and hide us out in um, the village Dubrovnik, but Rijeka, so between the two. They had to hide us for many years. We were sheltered by the family and friends that our family had back in the former Yugoslavia because they were also at risk. If they knew where we were, they would have got in trouble by their government. Mm. So they had to be very careful. We had no help of how to get food, but we were lucky because they knew people and the people from their churches or from church or pastor, they could trust. And they said, look, we have a family in this particular village. We need your help to feed them because we can't physically go ourselves because we would be at risk that would ask them to find us. Pashka, I believe Albania actually named itself as the first declared atheist nation. So state atheism was the official policy, yeah? Yes. So close to what? How many thousands of churches were literally closed down? In 1966, he destroyed every church, every blessing or every praying place in the villages or in the capital. He destroyed them. So the people were not allowed to be christened, get married or baptized or pray in churches. Uh, If you were caught praying in a public, you would still be in danger of being executed Mm. because he took that right that he believed communism was the only one that you worship, no other religion. So he tore up every cross. He murdered and killed a lot of priests. If anyone was caught baptizing their children at home and if someone was to say that Mrs. So-and-so, this family had their children blessed or they prayed, they would go in and arrest them, the whole family, and their consequences well, were very severe. It was penalties by death. Mm. All clergy, all religious practices were totally all. outlawed. Yes, they were, yes. But yet, you were saying, it was a pastor that played a key role in assisting your family. Yes, but that was in the other country. That was in the pastor that assisted us was in the former Yugoslavia. Aha, Okay. Not one from Albania. Okay. They, uh, Yugoslavia still had a negotiation, like um, communicating with Albania. Yes. But because they couldn't find us, uh, Tito's army reserve or Tito's spies, whatever you want to call it, yeah. um, they couldn't find us. But then Tito wasn't interested to really um, send us back because he didn't want to hand back innocent people Mm. to the Albanian leader Mm. and have that guilt up on him that he knew very well 
that if this family went back, that they would be killed. Because a family before we escaped, they were sent back because they were caught and they were all murdered. Oh, they, were, they were actually put against the wall and shot in front of the whole village people. To make an example, mm. you do this, this is the consequences. You're listening to The Story. Today, Karen Hunt is chatting with Pashka from Albania about her family's amazing escape from that country's oppressive communist regime in the 1960s. Next, we'll hear more of their flight to freedom and how their faith helped them on every step of their journey. That and more when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. We're continuing with Karen Hunt chatting with Pashka about her family's amazing story of escape from communist Albania in the 1960s. Before the break, we heard about their daring nighttime crossing of a river into the former Yugoslavia. But they still weren't safe there and had to live in hiding for many years. So, Enver Hoytia, the dictator, the Albanian government, they literally came looking for you. Yes, through the channels of the former Yugoslavian um, corporation or assistance. Yes, but you were never found. No, we were not found. So what happened from there? Then from there we were told, we came in one night, a family member of our parents arrived and he said, this is it, they're really onto it now, you've got to leave. He said, I've made everything possible with this community pastor in that priest in that area village and he said, we've got to leave. So they took us by boat. Well, they took us to a depot and they said that this is a family of 20 this is their passport and uh, they must leave tonight. They sort of pre-booked it, but they weren't sure who was going to pay for our tickets because we had to go on the boat. Yeah. This pastor, this priest at that particular time said that, that he would cover all the costs. All you've got to do is just take him to the um, depot and then we were put on this big ship overnight and we travelled all night and we were escorted, of course, with this other pastor yeah. to Italy, Bari in Italy. Mm. And there we were met by um, a Catholic priest from Rome. He has heard about the family and the difficulty that the family had suffered or went through. Yeah. And he said that, you are my people, I will protect you. And I'll make sure that your safety is uh, protected. And he took us into a village and that's where he declared us as refugees. Mm. And that's the first time that maybe after so many years uh, of being in hiding that our adults and us as children, we were a little bit trying to understand that we were free now, that no one can kill us and no one can harm us. And we have food because we had faith. We had a priest that was leading us to a better future. Well, especially when you'd come from like electrified metal fences and borders and booby traps and security guard towers every few kilometres, you'd actually manage to get through, escape all of that, head somewhere else, be met by a supportive, loving pastor person, and now here you are in Italy as yes. a seven and a half, eight year old child. 
Yes. I would have been then a bit longer than that because um, we stayed a year and a bit. So I would have been about nine okay. and a half. So the rest of your childhood years were all in Italy? It's only 12 months in Italy. Okay. And that was that was a good year trying to... We had missed school. We were not so much gone to be educated in the previous years. So we had a, um, a nun, a tutor on one-to-one. Our parents brought us up very well in trying to protect us or not tell us exactly what we saw or how we might have seen things because all they wanted to do is make sure their children were safe and fed. They could see that we were happy and they were happy and they could see then that they made the right decision. Yes. You only live once or you die <laughs> once. And they said, we made it. And it was incredible how no one believed the story that 21 would make it out of that regime yeah. alive. It's amazing. Serious. But for, for your time in Italy, where did you head to after that? Um, after that, we were declared refugees and with the help of all these organisations and pastors and um, the priests, they came and asked our parents, which country would you choose to go? And um, our parents um, and our uncles all stayed together and said, we have come this far together. We want to travel together and what choice do we have? Yeah. Because they were too scared again to ask where would they take them? And they said, you've got a choice to go to America or you've got a choice to go to Australia. And two out of four brothers chose quickly, oh, we're going to Australia. And they asked why. And the, the answer was that it's a big country and uh, our children would never have to fear war or hunger. Mm. They would be free to pick up their lives and become or be someone. And they chose Australia and they were given that choice. And we were here within 12 months. Two families arrived first, two brothers and the other two brothers arrived later on. We were very well looked after and they always brought us up to say, never forget where you come from, but enjoy the country. This is your country. Enjoy the country that we had suffered to bring you here. Yeah. And never forget where you come from. Pashka, where did you arrive? You left Italy as refugees. You came to Australia. Um, we came, first of all, as refugees, we were um, stopped in Melbourne because that's where they had a camp. And when they discovered that we were actually meant to be in prison within seven days because we had a pastor, a priest here that was waiting on arrival of this big family that had so many children, had so much suffering. And we travelled on the train with him to Brisbane and then out of the community that was um, very kind people because they knew that we had no money. They put us into their rental properties and were fed and clothed by the communities here, St Vincent de Paul, all the organisation that helped. We were given clothing, we were given food, we were looked after very well. What a blessing. And, um, yeah. Would you ever have imagined? No, no. Tell me about your parents. Tell me about mum and dad. How did they cope with all of this? Um, well, the reason why they coped, how they coped, is they had that belief in their faith and that's why they coped. They were very religious they prayed and they never never for one moment stopped that was their doing we started it but without uh, the help of Jesus or Lord above they wouldn't have got anywhere yeah. so they were very grateful they they coped through praying mm-hmm. and they coped through highlights seeing us smile mm-hmm. seeing us free and of course seeing them 
they didn't have to get a permission to go from one village to another. They were too scared to go into the bakery. They would go there and say, I want bread. And he says, how many? He would say, oh, only what I'm allowed to have. Yeah. And they said, this is a free country. You can have what you want. Bear in mind that we had not a word of English, also used interpreters. And they said, we can have whatever we want. That was just something that, that we've never dreamed of. They could buy or could have whatever they wanted. And until they realised that they were also free, they can have or buy what they wanted, it lifted them up that they had made the right choice, live or die once. Mm. And we lived and they knew that they made the right choice. For your good? Yeah. So your teenage years, Pashka, were you an Aussie girl by this time? Yeah, I believe when we arrived here that we would um, say, where were you born? Because of our non-English speaking, they knew that we were not born here. Mm-hmm. I think that within the 12 months, we could say that we were Aussies, we were like Australians, we were bred here because we were blessed to be here and to have this country offer us a fulfilled life. Was your father able to find work for the family? Um, Yes, our fathers were able to find work through the community um, help. They found work and our mothers found work and we went to a school and we were taught English by one-on-one nuns. Um, We helped the family. We were their interpreters so it sort of worked because we were much younger. We had picked it up. We thought, oh, we can speak now three languages. Yeah, wow. So what was life like for you in those high school years? Actually, um, they were very good years because we had known that we were different to other children because our sufferings made us be different and all in aim was to learn and to move ahead and sort of be someone rather than be just learn the language. So be someone, work hard, get somewhere in life and become someone. So what were you good at, Pashka? What were you good at? What did you love doing? I loved helping people that were in a worse situation than us. Yeah. Me personally, I helped a lot of community people. I became an interpreter. I, of course, before all of that, I got married and have children of my own. But love helping people because we got the help without someone helping us. We wouldn't have got where we were. So I wanted to give and to help people. So you developed a compassionate heart as a result of what you'd been through. Yes. So when you finished high school, what did you pursue? I finished high school and I um, finished a little business degree, how to run a business. Because by that time, grade five, we missed a few years of studying. We assisted. We missed a few years, so we had to pick up where we missed. So we had to not go to high school to achieve bigger degrees. But I got to high school by finishing grade 12. So we can be someone. Bear in mind, we missed a few years while we're touring all this um, journey that I managed to finish grade 12 and then I managed to do a little degree and our parents decided that they wanted to help and they wanted to open a corner store and because we were good at our English, all our children by that time were good, we were running a shop for the family and they were there and we would work with them. And also it enabled us to stay together. Great experience um, so by the sound of it. we together as a family in the corner mm. stores. Mm. Great experience. And were you involved in a particular church in this time of your life? Oh, yes. We belonged to, um, we still do, yeah, we were belonged to a Christian, a Catholic church. 
Yes. So we used to go in the valley and St. Stephen's in, um, in the city because that's where our community pastors were at that time. They're the ones that helped us and we would go get picked up and be taken to the church there. And your mum and dad, are they still alive? No, sadly I um, lost my father first and then my mother about um, three years ago. Mm. Well, this is the fourth year. Mm-hmm. But they, they had the great experience of living a free life and seeing us getting um, our life sorted out, married with children, moving on, being happy yeah. and still being who we were yeah. as a family. As a family, Pashka, what does your faith mean to you? It means everything. Our faith is very strong in my household and in all our family's household. Um, it means that without it, we can't move forward. I cannot imagine myself not to have that faith in me. I wouldn't be the person I am today or in the future. Mm. So our faith is very strong. Was there a particular time in your life when you made a decision, I wish to follow Christ, I wish to give my life to him? Yes. How old were you? Uh, probably would have been about 18 mm-hmm. or just yeah, about that age where you'd learn, you sort of comprehend more and you feel that, um, that you know that you feel without his powers, perhaps the family and yourself wouldn't be where you are today. So you've got that connection, you've got that bond, mm-hmm. you've got that everyday prayer mm-hmm. that makes it so much easier to move on, mm-hmm. to overcome your little hardship or go back to take a step back yeah, the you go forward because he helps you you're praying for a better day yeah god bless you pashka you're living in brizzy you're with your family now you've just shared an amazing story of escape from communist albania to being in refugee status in italy to coming out to melbourne in australia moving up to queensland being in brisbane god isn't finished with you yet you you're a matriarch yourself now for your own family and uh, i pray god's absolute blessing upon you and yours for all the days ahead thank you karen i'm blessed to have him in my life and i couldn't do without him on a daily basis i uh i don't move forward without his his help and um this is it need to have that faith to have a better future well what a remarkable story pashka from albania just shared with us today having to endure hardships that most of us would never dream of having to go through. And, as I said at the beginning, it is stories like this that really make us appreciate how blessed we are here in Australia with the many freedoms that we enjoy. Also, it was great to hear how Pashka and her family's faith in God was their constant source of strength and guidance throughout their epic journey. As the Bible says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. Well, you know, it was an instant regret the second I I went off that rail. When my hands left that rail and I was in free fall, I instantly realized I had made the greatest mistake of my life. And I thought to myself, what have I just done? I don't want to die. God, please save me. And then I hit the water. Kevin Hines is one of only a few people who have jumped off San Francisco's Golden Gate Bridge and lived to tell the story. He's now a spokesman for suicide prevention and will share his miraculous story of survival and healing next time. The story. the story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. 